Our scripture reading and sermon passage this morning comes from Genesis. That is in chapter 1 and beginning in verse 26. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And God bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Jody. I remember the first time that I was told that as a human, I was merely a highly evolved ape. Do you remember being told that ever? Uh, Maybe in a classroom setting of some sort. For me, it was my sixth grade science class at the Catholic school that I was attending. And uh, obviously, we were uh, learning about maybe the origins of of, of humans and life, and, uh, and I remember that day, uh, all these years uh, since, because uh, there were a lot of questions that began to be asked um, among the fellow students. We're, we're in a religious context, and, and how's this square with the idea that, that we're created by God? And I remember distinctly our teacher, she, she had no answers, and essentially uh, punted and and the next day, uh, invited the, the priest over the parish connected to the school to come and kind of do damage control, if you will. And so he came, and I remember he was of no help either, because essentially, uh, he never opened up the scriptures to us. It was just uh, evolution is the way that God did it. And I remember feeling, even as a 12-year-old boy, I don't think I was converted at this time, uh, thinking, this doesn't sound right. I, I, I know I'm more than an animal. I just didn't know why. Well, many in our society, and you know this, have not only been taught to believe that we as humans are, are, are merely animals of instinct. We are, we're just apes who are highly evolved. We are the apex predator of, of all the animals, but, but we are just merely animals. But we've not only been taught to believe that, but we've now grown up in a culture that has now taken the logical conclusions of the theory of evolution to their end. Made them 
flesh and blood, if you will, in our culture. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, simply, we've now detached ourselves as a society of any accountability to our Creator. We don't, whether we acknowledge there's a God or not, we, in essence, live as we've been taught. You're just an animal, uh, and you live by instinct. And so we've disconnected ourselves, whether we acknowledge it or not, from our Creator. And, and in this, we have now made ourselves the ultimate authority in our own lives. This has produced an extreme individualism, as we can witness in our own society. And so this way of thinking has not only shaped um, how we view God and our accountability to Him, but it has also shaped how we view our purpose in life. We're functionally nihilist. What is that? That's a person who thinks there is nothing, nothing to live for because there's nothing. In fact, they been a whole TV show about nothing. It's called Seinfeld, but that's another sermon maybe. But we live as if there, there's no divine purpose in our lives, and so what have we done? Life is now about our own self-fulfillment, our own self-determination, our own reality as we can craft and make. And really, the only sin of our society is don't tell me I can't be and do what I want to do. While most of us, I hope, would reject that form of extreme individualism, uh, we shouldn't think that we have not been affected by the cultural currents of our day. We're constantly being catechized by our culture. What do I mean by catechized? Catechism is, is a way by which you, you repeat things so that you um, are trained and things become second nature to you. Well, or our culture has catechized or trained us in its values, its principles and beliefs. And this happens not only in the school systems, as which most of us have been brought up in, but as we watch the news, what's deemed important, what's deemed outrageous, what's celebrated. Even in the movies and the sitcoms that we watch, they, they are means to, to draw us in on an emotional and personal level to shape us. And then even the music, it's the hymn book of our secular society's religion. And it's done so well, right? We, we can't but subscribe. We can't but listen because it is done so immaculately and, and, and beautifully. But, but are you listening to the message that is coming through? So, brothers and sisters, if you are not anchored to Christ... If you're not anchored in actively seeking to make every thought captive in obedience to Him, you are in grave danger of being swept away with the current. Have you ever been to the beach? And maybe you've gone out and you're playing in the waves and you, you, the first time you look back you can see the, the, the beach towels and maybe your umbrella is your anchor point and then you keep playing and then you turn around again and you say, wait, wait, where is it? And you realize that you've drifted. Unless we keep our eye on shore, the solid rock of Christ, we are in danger of drifting. And so for this reason, brothers and sisters, I want us to be on guard. I want us to be alert. I want us to know how to engage a world that is rapidly changing. And by that, I don't mean to wage a culture war. We've been told to wage a culture war for the last generation, and guess what? We lost. 
and we're disappointed. And all the things that we put our hope in, they haven't turned out the way many of us thought they might. And that may be a good lesson for us to realize that our hope is not in kings and kingdoms of this world, but is in the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to call us to in being on guard is to stand firm on the truth of God's word so that we may lay hold of the hope and the joy that is only found in Jesus. And then we extend this love, we extend this joy to our families. We're training our children up in the way that is right and true. We're we're encouraging one another and holding each other accountable to these things. We're, We're extending this love to our community And then we're taking it as our missionaries leave this place and we we raise up people as we just heard from in Katie and we send them out to go to the ends of the earth so that they may know the one who will save their souls. Bring them true and lasting happiness. Brothers and sisters, God has left us here as the church. God has left us here because we have the hope of the world. We have the hope of the world right here in this room. And there's a reason he's left us here. Because no political party, no political platform, ideology, or candidate can solve the world's ills. No person can do that. Even the best of men are men at best, right? And all these systems, all these programs, all these ideologies are incomplete at best. That doesn't mean they don't have any value. We'll talk about this in the future. But they're incomplete. They cannot answer every question and solve every problem. And right now as we are, we're literally in a transition period. We are watching things unfold. We're watching our society at some level seemingly crumble. We're in the middle of a revolution. And not to be a bearer of bad news, but the 1960s and 50s aren't coming back. So the question is, do we wage a war to somehow maintain some bygone era? Or do we engage with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because here's the, here's the truth. While... The political systems and structures of this world and policies are are incomplete at best. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not incomplete. It is the answer to everything and everyone and all the problems of our world. It is the answer. And why is it the answer? Because the gospel, the scripture tells us, is the power of God For salvation to some people who believe, certain people groups who believe, certain areas of the world who believe. No, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. This message is not tailored to a particular class or ethnic group. No, it applies to all people everywhere, in all times and cultures, because it's complete. It's whole. It's the power of God to salvation. And in it, the scripture says, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know what another word for righteousness is? 
justice. That's a buzzword today, isn't it? What is justice? You want to know true justice? Look at the gospel. For God is both the just and the justifier of everyone who believes. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to put your hope in things that will disappoint. I want you to put your hope in the gospel that promises never to disappoint, never to shake us. And so to this end, I want to exhort us, how do we live lives as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we live as his disciples? How do we live Christianly, as the title is here? And we're starting a new series, and over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven biblical principles for living the Christian life. Seven principles, I think we've got them up there. So over the seven weeks, this is the titles, if you will. Maybe we'll send this out um, later this week. And so today we're going to be looking at the first one. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Next week we're going to look at the church. What's the destiny of the church? What's the purpose of the church as, as the beginning of a new humanity? What's God's design, week three, for the family? as the foundation of every society. We're going to consider the beauty of vocation and work and how there's dignity in all that we do. We're going to look at the role of the state and not only look at, at what the government should be as God's servant for our good, but also how do we engage Christianly? How do, how do we engage in that civil process? Sixthly, what is true justice? How does the Bible define it? And then lastly, we're going to put all this together and think of then, then what's the mission of the church? What are we supposed to be doing as we watch real horrific things happen in our culture? What do we do? Well, this morning we're going to begin with what it means to be human. I want you to consider this. How, how would you answer that question? What does it mean to be a human being? Or maybe consider being in that classroom how would you answer if someone says, no, 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 we're just highly evolved apes? That's what a human is. How, how would you respond? Say, no, 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 no. Humans are. What would be your answer? This morning we're going to look at Genesis 1, 26-31. And we're going to learn that to be human, what, what is it? Here's my answer. So if you're taking notes, here's the answer. We learn that to be human is to be created in God's image. And to be God's image bearers is to live in right relationship with him, with one another, and with the creation. And I hope to unpack that this morning. Because everything that we do when we're as Christians and we're thinking about the sanctity of every life, we rightly say, right, because everyone's made in the image of God. So what does that mean? We need to know what we mean by that. Or else it just becomes words that we just rattle off our tongue. And then we lose conviction. We can't pass on to our, next, to our children and the next generation. Well, as we understand what it means to be image bearers in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, and right relationship with creation, we'll understand how not to live as animals. 
but as children crowned, as Psalm 8 says, with glory and honor. So to truly live as a human, first of all, is to live in relationship with God. Now just to give you a heads up, this is going to be the densest part of this sermon. And actually this sermon is a theological lesson to lay some foundation work as we go into the next several weeks. And so I'm asking you, you're here, and maybe those of you online, if you're unable to be here, can you commit to seven Sundays? Is that too much to ask? That we would be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day seven times in a row so that we may hear how he wants us to live in the world. That's what I'm going to commit us or ask you to commit to. So as we consider here, we look in Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, as we consider here, he says, let us make man. He's not talking about an individual here. He's talking about mankind. Maybe some of your translations have that, or humanity. Let us make humanity in our image after our likeness. And we see here that the triune God is the initiator of our existence. God says, let us. You see a a plurality here in the Godhead. Let us make man in our image. And so I want you to think about what that means. Okay, we're God's image in the world. What does an image do? Well, you see a picture, right? Maybe you looked, I hope you looked in the mirror this morning. Some of you did. Uh, you, you looked in the mirror and you saw yourself, right? You saw the reflection of who you are, a picture. We reveal God in the world. We mirror God in the world. We reflect who God is in the world. See, God has put his image in the world and his image is humanity. Okay? Now I want you to follow here. Unlike the rest of creation that God spoke into being, and that's glorious in and of itself, he spoke a world into being, a world that didn't exist. Out of nothing he creates everything by speaking it. But mankind, humanity, he doesn't speak into existence. No, God stoops down to the, to the ground, to the dust of the earth, and he begins to fashion and form and mold man out of the ground, like a potter crafting a vessel. And we read in Genesis 2 that after fashioning the man, God intimately breathes the breath of life into his nostrils So that he becomes a living creature. No other creature has such care, intimacy, and life as a human being. And so when we think about who we are as humans, we are reflecting God. And and what I want you to see is though we're made from the dust of the ground, we have the breath of God in us. And so we reflect God. And I want us to consider really four ways that we do. Four elements about who we are. Well, the essence of what it means to be a human being in relationship to God. What makes us unique as image bearers? Well, first of all, the image of God is mirrored in the fact that you and I are soulish creatures. What do I mean by that? We were created with souls. Okay, We were created with souls. 
the soul which was breathed into us is the essence of who we are. This is why Jesus talks about that the body may be killed, but fear him who can kill both body and soul. The souls exist forever. And so you and I, we're not just flesh and blood. We're not just animals. Actually, we're spiritual beings. We're embodied spiritual beings. And so in this way, we're higher than the animals. But strangely, we're, for this time, as the Psalm 8 says, we're made a little lower than the angels. That's temporary, by the way. And so in this way, we're uniquely earthly and heavenly. Both knit together in one. And so even the angels look upon us with wonder and honor. Because though they are spirit, they aren't flesh. And though animals are flesh, they aren't spirit. We're both body and spirit, body and soul. Second, as the image of God, we're endowed with faculties. What do I mean by faculties? Well, faculties of the heart, the mind, and the will. And so in this way... Humans are uniquely able to enjoy God in the fullest manner with all of our being. We can give ourselves in how we devote ourselves to the Lord completely. Think about the heart for, the, for a moment. The heart is the center of the person where all our emotions, all our desires, all our thinking flows and it directs our lives. And just think about this, this unique relationship of the body and the soul as we talk about the heart. We understand on a physical sense, the heart, you take out the heart, the person dies. But what do we talk about somebody when we're talking about them on a, maybe a human level? We might say someone's heartless. So what do we mean by that? They're, they're not human. They're, they're, they're immoral. They're evil. We speak in those metaphorical terms. There's almost a sense you can't separate who you are in flesh from who you are in spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, you, you and I, we aren't robots who have been programmed and we just kind of do our thing. And nor are we animals by which we just merely act on instinct. Yeah, there's some of that, of a, a child who just knows how to get milk from his mother. But we're more than that. We're more than that, even though that's what the world wants you to think. You're just a creature of instinct, of impulse, and you must satisfy. And we're just like animals. No. We're not robots. We're not animals. But we are living beings who have been made to willfully know God, willfully love God, and willfully enjoy God. Him. That's, that's something that actually distinguishes us from the angels. We can choose God. Third, as the image of God, we're enabled to live out the virtues of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. So this is more than just uh, maybe the faculties to be able to process things, but now we can use them. We can, we can learn, and, and, and there's not a sense in which we ever stop learning. Now, maybe you don't go to school forever, but every day you're learning, right? If you're not learning, you're dead, right? You can't function. 
But we're constantly learning, we're constantly going, and there seems to be an endless element to that. In fact, there is. Don't think that once we come to heaven, they'll somehow stop learning. Actually, we'll spend eternity, continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We're righteous, or we, we, we have a sense of righteousness. We, we, we have a sense of what is right and wrong. We strive for holiness. You don't see animals really concerned about their personal piety, do you? When you're talking about somebody in a negative, even to classify them as amoral, you call them pigs, right? Why? Because pigs don't have morals. They just do what they do. And so what we need to understand is that we're not just thinking creatures. No, we're moral creatures. We have consciences that direct us and shape us. We have virtues. And guess what? Where do we get these virtues? Because we're made in the image of God. We reflect Him. It's embedded in us as He breathed the soul into us. And then fourthly, as the image of God, we've been given perfectly suited bodies which are united to our souls. You are an embodied soul. In fact, I was watching a movie, that new Tom Hanks one, Grey, Grey, Greyhound, and he speaks of his, his men on his ship, his souls, because he understands he's entrusted with souls. And that's who they are, but they're embodied, right? In this way, our bodies are, they're not prisons. There's been, even today, there's this idea that, that you can be somebody you're not. That somehow your body's misaligned with you. But no, our bodies are created to, and suited for our souls, our identity. We were just singing, Lord, I am who you say I am. Now, I understand there's some complexities I don't want to dismiss those, but here's, brother and sister, even as a fallen world where, where our, our bodies have been perverted, our minds have been distorted, guess what? This is how we fight against temptation and sin. We remind ourselves of these truths, even if it doesn't feel like it. But we are imprisoned in our bodies, but our bodies are glorious pieces of art, masteries shaped by the hand of God for us. Therefore, all of who you are, brothers and sisters, whether you're a Christian or not for that matter, you are the image of God. You reflect God. You reveal who God is. And consequently, among all the creatures, then, we are the most supreme and most perfect revelation of God in the world. Yes, the, the heavens declare the glories of God. Psalm 8 speaks of, of all creation bearing His majesty. But guess who's part of creation? You and me. That's why the psalmist says, who is man that you would be mindful of him? We look at creation and think it is glorious and wonderful, but yet he has crowned us above all his creation with glory and honor. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? We tend to only think of ourselves in naturalistic terms because we've been catechized in evolutionary theory. We only think in those categories, and we must be the people on the face of the planet who understand what it means to be a human. We know what it means to be made in the image of God. 
And so that's who we are, and who we are then impacts who we are to be. So we understand who we are as image bearers, as human beings. Well, now that, that raises and pushes us into what we are to be. And so the more we know about God, the more we can properly understand ourselves and how we're to live now in light of what God says we are in relationship with him. And so as God's image, as we've unpacked here, we're created to be his representatives on earth. That's what I want you to think about. You not only reflect and reveal God and how he has fashioned you, but now he has made you in such a way so that you may represent him on earth. And so think of it this way, like a, an ambassador would represent his or her country, comes with the authority and, and an order and purpose of not themselves, but the country or the foreign land that they represent, Right? Well, in the same way, we are created in God's image, and He has given us rule and dominion over His creation, not bearing authority that is inherent in ourselves, but a delegated authority. He has made us to rule His world on His behalf. To put it another way, to live rightly with God is to live in worshipful obedience to Him. And because when we, as He's made us to be, love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, walk fully dependent upon Him, say, I want to do your will. I'll be eager to do His will, His purpose on earth. Right? We love Him with all of our being because... We really understand who we are. Everything we are and everything we have has been supplied by Him. Everything. And it has a purpose, a design, a goal, an end. And this becomes most apparent as we look at the most perfect human who ever set foot on the face of the planet. That is Jesus. Because we have fallen and we have rebelled against God's will, God's purpose for us, his loving rule over us. Jesus has come to us as the true image of God. Scripture, in fact, says that Jesus is the in image of the invisible God. So you remember John 14 when the disciples said, When will you show us the Father? And Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, Jesus isn't saying that they are one in the sense of there isn't a distinction between the Father and the Son. No, 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 no. He's saying this as the true image bearer. Everything that God is, you have seen in me. He's the true human being who walks in fellowship with God. And so as we consider Jesus, all we see that to be human is to be fully committed to God the Father. This is why we see that Jesus is also given the title as the second Adam. He is an image bearer, but he is a new Adam who doesn't bear the sin of Adam, the rebellion of Adam. And he perfectly puts on display what it means to be human. And he shows us in that that to be human is to submit to the will of the Father. You know what he says to the disciples? My food 
Think about that. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What an image. My food, my life, my sustenance is to do the will of the Father. You want to live? Do the will of him who sent you, who made you. Why to not do the will of God is called sin. And what are the wages of sin? Death. Death. To live as God has intended to have life and joy and happiness is to live in fellowship with God. So brothers and sisters, you've not only been created with such loving care, mastery, and wonder. But you have been created for a purpose, both soul and body. To live in sweet harmony with your creator to carry out his will in the world. And this is why Jesus came to redeem us. You can look at Romans 8. He's redeemed us and he is conforming us to his image, the restored image. He's come as the true image where it's been perverted in us because of sin. He has given us what? New hearts. Why? So that we may love Him, obey Him, hear Him, follow Him. And He's sanctifying us and growing us so that we may be human and live with Him forever. So to live as a human is to live in relationship with God. But it's not to be done in isolation. We're also made to live in relationship with one another. Okay. So when we come back to Genesis... Genesis 1.27, we read that when God created mankind, how did he do so? He created him male and female. He created him male and female. Then you go to verse 28, not only did he make us male and female, but he, he created us to do something, to be fruitful and multiply. Now I want you to notice something in the text, particularly in verse 27. God created man, that's humanity, mankind. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. You might expect it to say them, maybe if you were rattling this verse off by the top of your head, because, well, if we put humanity there, we would say them. But the them comes in the next phrase, right? Where he says male and female, he created them. Why do I draw that to your attention? Well, in the coming weeks, actually in two Sundays, we're going to spend more time exploring the differences between men and women. But for now, what I want you to see is the similarity. There's a plurality in oneness. Mankind is one and many, right? Male and female. And both are the image of God. Both equally the image of God. And so we read in, in chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. And that's not just for the, the male, although in that case it was Adam who was created first. But it's true for all of us. That's why in this weird season we're in, we're not made for separating rows. We're not made for wearing masks. We're not made for quarantining and isolating. Those of you who are on the live stream, you weren't made to stay there. You were made to be in relationship with people. 
You're made to live with other people. And in fact, here's the glory and wonder of God. As you look at all different people who are different from their ethnicities to their, their sexes to, to every way that they've been made, actually we get to see the glory of God on full display like a royal diadem. We see Him in all His beauty that you will not see if it's just you, yourself, or me, myself, and I, that's the better way to do it. You can't do it by yourself. Now, I want you to keep going to Genesis chapter 5. I want us to see something, because this is important for us to realize that all Adam's children bear the image of God. There's been strange things taught in the church that, that some people, maybe you've heard, like have borne the mark of Cain or something like that to to make an argument that there are some people, some ethnicities that are less than human. Well, I want you to know that's not biblical. That's evolutionary theory. That you have different evolved people. But what we're going to see is that every single person on the face of the planet comes from Adam. It doesn't mean we're all the same, but we're all image bearers, equally made in God's image. And we see this in, in, in Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. So we get this rehashing of what God has done with man. And we know the story of Adam. And then it goes on it says, then when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. Why are we being told this? We're being told this because we're post-fall, and the image of God is passed down. The image of God is passed to every person who's been born. Okay? And this has massive ramifications for how we treat one another because I want you to go on now to Genesis chapter 9. Because every person on the face of the planet is an image bearer. This is why we learn that one person or people cannot murder another. Look in Genesis 9, 6. God says, whoever sheds the blood of a man, of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. We're getting the same commands, the same essence of what it means to be a human being to, to now Noah and the, and the generation that survives the flood. And God is telling them now in this fallen world, his, this is how you treat people. And number one, you don't kill them. Doesn't, you don't kill people. And if they do, if someone does murder an image bearer, this is an attack on the God who made them. And so this is why, as you see here, murder requires the death penalty. This isn't for, hey, someone murdered my loved one, I'll take personal vengeance. This, isn't, this is setting order and structure in society by which society, mankind, knows how to deal with those who shed blood. 
This is justice, as we're seeing. Because the punishment upholds the dignity of every human being in the image of God. We hear sometimes, oh, no, no, we're more humane if we can eliminate it. Actually, no, no, no. You degrade what it means to be a human if you eliminate the just punishment for murder. You eliminate what it means to be human. Now, we don't want this. We're not for this. This is awful. But to turn a blind eye to murder or to treat it lightly in some manner is to denigrate the honor and glory that God has bestowed on every person. Well, this doesn't end with murder. It goes on. Genesis 9, 6 is is just like the extreme of not loving your neighbor. And this theme is developed later in the Old Testament. We're, we're, we're maybe more familiar of, the, of these rules or these laws. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that, those passages can be misunderstood on, to be enabling you to enact personal vengeance. Well, Jesus clears that up in the Sermon on the Mount. But what were those laws intended to do? They were just laws by which the punishment must meet the crime. And that would prevent true uh, injustice from having, that you would punish someone beyond what the crime should be or that you would punish them less than the crime should be. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And if you do not do this, you will degrade what it means to be a human and you will treat people poorly. You will treat people poorly. This extends even into the New Testament. I want you to go basically to the end, to go to James. James chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. James is talking about the tongue and how it's a restless evil. Um, He's really unpacking this this truth that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you want to know uh, where you are in terms of your sanctification and righteousness? Well, look at your words and how you use your tongue. And James goes on in in chapter 3, verse 9, and says, With it, meaning the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. He's talking about us here this morning. We were singing hallelujah. We're singing praise to God. Be glory to Him. That's good. But it says, but with your same tongue, with it we curse people who are what? Made in the image of God. Made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What are we seeing here? We're seeing you can't come in here and worship God and talk about the dignity and glory and wonder and majesty of God and treat people poorly. And so Oak Park, guess what? This is why the scriptures have the answers for the world. The world has eliminated this fundamental identity of what it means to be a human and are therefore tearing each other apart like animals. We have the hope of the world here. And so we, among all people, understand what it means to be human. And above all should be those who give honor and respect and recognize the dignity of every person on the planet. No matter if they are rich or poor, black or white, male or female. 
And so this respect for life, it's not just limited in, in, in expecting and holding and wanting just laws to defend the dignity of every human being, but even in how we speak and treat those who are our enemies. Because they too are made in the image of God. How you speak of someone in private, what you simmer over when you hate someone, the way you speak to someone, the way you talk about people on social media. You cannot come here and bless God with your mouth and then curse them with your keyboard tomorrow. And that extends even to your political enemy. The person who is on the absolute opposite side. Why? For they are made in the image of God. That doesn't mean you don't disagree. That doesn't mean there isn't a recourse. But how you think and speak of them should be impacted because you see them for maybe how they don't even see themselves. As embodied souls made to live in fellowship with God and with their fellow man. So since the curse of sin, we're tempted though. We're tempted to be just like Cain. And though we see maybe another brother or sister suffering, say, am I my brother's keeper? Am I, am I, am I responsible for them? And Jesus will tell a parable about a man beaten up on the road to answer that very question, who's my neighbor? Actually, we find that we have the responsibility to love our neighbor as ourself, even when that neighbor is our enemy. So again, we see what it means to be human, don't we, when we look at Jesus, the true image of God, who, what did Jesus do? He came and sought us, not when we were lovable, not when we wanted him, no, when we were running away from him. He died for us while we were yet, what, sinners. He died for us. God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies and hostile toward him, he has shown this love toward us and shown us actually how to love our enemies. Oh, I know it's hard. <laughs> it is very hard, right? But guess what? You'll never be more like God and human when you learn how to lay down your life for your neighbor to want their good as God defines it. Finally, to be human is to live in relationship with the creation. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. And this is be a little more brief because really this point is helping us then how do we live in the world, okay? And we're going to look at this over the next, I guess, six more Sundays. But if you come back to, to Genesis 1, and look in verse 26, what, what do we see as part of being image bearers and in God's likeness? Well, in the second sentence, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. If you go on to, to, to verse 28, and God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion. And he goes over all the creatures again. To be image bearers, actually, God has has given us a role as his representatives on earth to rule over the creation. To interact with it in the way he has designed. And, And there's two words in verse 28 that I want to draw your attention to. The first is subdue. He says at the end, or in the middle of verse 28, subdue it. What what does it mean to subdue the earth? Well, as image bearers, we are to explore the resources of the earth. We're to mine them. We're to cultivate them. We're to chop down trees and build homes and, and, and make paper. We're to mine out minerals and, and we are to, to discover frequencies and waves and, and we are we're to make things. And you actually, the more we discover as we mine the resources that God has given us on this earth, actually we get to see all his glory and might and beauty. I mean, just even I'm preaching here from an iPad. I mean God's creatures made this. Now, it it doesn't work forever. Hopefully, it doesn't break on me one time preaching. But this is awesome. How how did we figure out how to do this? Because the people who made this were made in the image of God. And we can see God's beauty. We can see God's beauty as we, we consider science, technology, beautiful art from not only paintings and sculptures, but from music. Engineering just is amazing, those who are gifted in that way, what they can build. Even business and agriculture and those who are able to, you know, you ever watch dirty jobs? I mean, that's amazing what people can do to rule over the creation and supply the things that we take for granted. Businesses, people who are able to run these massive corporations like an organism. I wonder where they thought to be able to do that because they're made in the image of God. That's what it means to subdue. But there's another word, and, and that is have dominion. That's that the idea of rulership. And as Adam was told in chapter 2 of Genesis to work and keep the garden, so, so we are made to work and keep the earth. So yes, we do chop down the trees, but we don't chop them all down at once, Okay. We care for them. Yes, we mine the oceans for oil and we suck it up and we use it to fuel all the things that we enjoy, but we don't want to do it in a way that we destroy all the wildlife. We work it and we keep it. We guard it. We protect it. We're stewards of it. That's why how you manage your household matters. How you keep your yard. How you build your home. How you clean it. There's glory in working it and keeping it. There's glory in that. You're made to do that. Well, well, we'll explore this more in the coming weeks. But as you can see, there's a lot that's entailed in being human, isn't there? We're a lot more than just evolved apes. We don't eat flies off each other's backs. At least I hope not. We're made in God's image. And though as human beings we we have fallen into sin, we have rebelled against God, here's what I want you to understand. When we say we bear the image of God, sometimes I think we we think we like let's 
this is it. There's the image of God, and we bear it on our shoulder or something. And up we send, and it fell off or something like that. No, 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 no. You are the image. You bear it in the sense you reflect it. And what I want you to know is that though we have sinned, the image of God has not been removed. We are it, flesh and soul. Now, yes, sin has perverted that image. And we see that it's perverted it on the moral level, the virtue level. It has limited our ability to carry out the functions, but yet we, we can still function as image bearers. But yet on a moral level, we, we now use all those faculties that God has given us that are still there for every individual made in the image of God, and we use them in ways contrary to His will and design. That's where the image is darkened, where the image is perverted. Whereas then Adam and Eve were created so that they could obey and choose not to sin, they're in a different place than all the rest of humanity. They were made good, without sin. And they could willfully choose God. Us, on the other hand, yes, we are made in the image of God, but because we're in Adam, sin has also been passed down. And sin has corrupted us so that our wills are actually enslaved to unrighteousness. We can't but sin. Everything we do is tainted. And so this is why we need Jesus, who unlike Adam, gives life. Who redeems us from the curse of sin and conforms us into his image, restores humanity to us by giving us a new heart that knows and loves God and knows how to treat people rightly. So that we live in harmony with God, harmony with one another, and one day we'll rule over this world. That's why Psalm 8, go read it again. He has put all these things under man's feet. Jesus has been our forebearer who's doing this. And in him, he will share his rule, his plunder with us perfectly. So as we look at the ills of our world, the injustices of our society, and, and, and by that, I need to explain in future times, not everything the world says is an injustice is an injustice. We're going to need to look at that carefully. But even as we look at the mess that our world is in, you're going to be tempted, I'm going to be tempted, to put our trust and put too much stock in political parties, especially in an election year, and human devices. And what I intend for us to see as we come to God's word in the coming weeks is that the true hope of the world is found right here in this room. Do you know that? The true hope of the world, true justice for the world is happening right here. It's not in downtown Louisville. That's not where the action is. No, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes is happening here. It's happening with you who carry the word of God into your workplace, into your home, into this community as we minister to individuals and we love them in the name of Christ and we welcome them into how to be humans and live as they were created to be. And so next Sunday, we're going to see that the church is the beginning of a new humanity in Christ. And we're going to see what, what does that mean what does it mean now for us, and what should this look like among us as those who've been reconciled to God, reconciled with one another, and who will one day fulfill God's purpose for us 
in ruling the world as he intended. That's what we'll look at next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are good to us. We really have just scratched the surface and and Lord, I pray that we stand in wonder and awe that we say with the psalmist, who is man that you would be mindful of us? And we would be just in wonder and awe, our jaws would drop as we consider how you have made us and for what purpose you have and what care and glory and honor you have bestowed upon us. And that we'd see the beauty that you have made for us and we would long for that all the more. And we would live as beautiful human beings in the world and, and people, as Jesus said, would, would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven because of it. They would see in us what it means to be human. And that we would be able to give an answer for the hope that we have when they say, why do you live like that? What's going on at Oak Park? And why do we see people of every stripe, every age group, different economic Statuses. How are you able to love and do what we can't do? And we can say, because Jesus has done what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And what a great start to the